0: You're listening to a sermon preached at Cross and Crown in Melbourne. We believe that God speaks through the Bible and he calls us to preach the word in season and out of season. We pray that as you listen, you'll be strengthened to know, love and live for Jesus. Peter, thanks so much for coming down to share God's word with us in that way.
1: It's a pleasure. Thank you. Um, you're from Sydney. I am. Born and yeah. bred. Born and yep. bred. Yep, um, Anyone else from Sydney here? Come on, admit it. Not they're, a soul. They're hiding. Uh-huh. They're hiding. Oh, well, fair enough. Yes, I can understand. Uh, <laughs> you know, there is a road out of Melbourne called Sydney Road. You know that? We refuse to travel it. Uh... Well, there's not a road out of Sydney called Melbourne
0: Road, I can tell you. <laughs> Anyhow. So, Peter, help me understand. what 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 is the deal
1: with the whole Sydney-Melbourne thing? Melbourne. It worries. <laughs> <laughs> Melbourne worries about it. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, there we are. No, the reason I was asking is I was just saying uh, I came from the eastern suburbs of uh, Sydney, but that means something if you are from Sydney, but it doesn't mean anything to anyone here. It's more the Bondi Beach side of Sydney, anyway, mm. near the harbour.
0: Peter, why don't we go uh, back to the beginning, uh, not all the way in Genesis 1, but uh, do you want to tell us, you, you were born and bred in Sydney, uh, tell us about your upbringing, family, was um, the sure. sort of family yes. that you grew up in. Uh,
1: Thank you very much. Uh, uh, I was born in 1943 in the middle of the, the Second World War, uh, and which meant that I was too old, too young to go into national service, so I missed that, and too old to go to Vietnam. It was the best year to be born, 1943, it was a great year. Um my uh, mum and dad uh, uh, stayed together all their lives. Uh, they uh, had three boys, an older boy, Ralph, six years older than me. He has now passed away. He was a geologist in real life, lived in Canberra most of his life, married, very lovely marriage. Uh, the um, uh, And then my younger brother, Philip, a very difficult person. <laughs> no, I'm only joking. Philip and I uh, were really buddies uh, and spent ten months of the year playing cricket believe it or not and the another two months playing rugby uh, and making a mess and this sort of thing we uh, mum uh, dad was a printer he owned his own business just a one-man business uh, mum in those days uh, uh, true ladies didn't work in outside the home I mean I said to my dad once uh, dad would mum ever go to work you know in an office or something and he said it would be a disgrace to me if she ever went to work. So there you are. That goes back to the 1950s. Uh, the um, uh, we had a uh, didn't have a refrigerator. We had an ice box. The ice man came and put ice in the ice box for you. We didn't have a washing machine. We didn't have a dishwasher. Uh, there were still horses going up <laughs> down outside deliveries, bakers' deliveries, and this sort of stuff and what horses used to leave on the road. Uh, I'll say no more. Sometimes people come by selling rabbits uh, to eat. Uh, chickens weren't eaten very much Christmas. Uh, it was a different world. It was a different world.
0: Yeah, and I was about to ask you how you came to faith, but I'm so taken by some of the observations that you made there <laughs> that I almost want to ask, when you see some of those um, uh, changing social norms in particular, how, how do you reflect on that as as a Christian uh, in Australia, uh, you see the place of uh, men and women change in society as well. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Just what there, there's the question. Course, what do you do with that? Well, so, one of the yeah. big
1: things too is the the, the uh, post Second World War inflow of migrants, mainly from at that stage from Europe, but then later in the nineteen seventies from worldwide flow of migrants from all around the place, which is changing Australia irrevocably, uh, and I think for the better. I think it's good. Uh, um, I'll be dead, so it doesn't matter to me. <laughs> you can do what you like. But uh, no, it is, it, it is, I think, for the good um, on the whole. Uh, the, uh, and that's one of the huge changes that's occurred. Uh, but one of the big changes that occurs, the 1950s were a very church-going period. Um, and uh, one of our Sunday schools in Sydney, for example, had a 1,000 children in the Sunday school, just in an ordinary suburb. The church I went to, we had 200 children in the Sunday school. Uh, so people went to church in the 1950s. In the 1960s, the contraceptive pill, 1963, the Beatles, uh, if you know who I mean by the Beatles, yes, yes, the Beatles. Uh, there's a poem, a, a very interesting poem called Sex Was Invented in 1963. You may care look it up sometime. Uh, I think that. Uh, changed everything, and the uh, the numbers in church now disappeared, uh, and mainly the people who left were, if you like, nominal Christians who came because it was the right thing to do. But then my parents didn't have a car until ni- till 1955. I think we got our first car. You didn't leave your suburb; you were in, you were in a community. Whereas once you got cars, TV, and all the rest of those things the city became open, uh, overseas became open. We didn't travel overseas, but we started to do so in the 60s and 70s. Did, did you grow up in a church-going family? Yes, we did. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, we didn't. Yes, we did. Uh, Mum and Dad were conventional Christians. They said they were Christians. They met in church. Well, they met at a church tennis club, actually. Uh, uh, and they sent their boys to church. Dad was the Sunday school superintendent for a while, but golf got hold of them, the other great religion. And uh, so they sent us to church on Sundays and went and played golf. Uh, and, but they would say they were Christians. And, um, and I think my father really was, at least. I think mum was saved in the end too. But I think dad uh, really was. And he became far more active in church in the 70s and 80s. How,
0: how was it that you yourself came to faith?
1: Well, uh, having been sent to church in Sunday school, Uh, The main thing, see, my older brother reflects this change. He's uh, six years older. Uh, He left Sydney in 1957 or thereabouts to live in Canberra. Uh, Met and married uh, his lovely wife there. Um, He was active in church. But the difference between him and us, the two boys that followed, was this. Billy Graham. Because Billy Graham, the great American evangelist, came to Sydney, came to Melbourne, I think I'm right in saying the biggest crowd ever in the Melbourne Cricket Ground is the crowd that gathered for the last day of the Billy Graham Crusade in 1959. I think I'm right in saying that. That's the record. 143,000 people. It shook the city. And likewise in Sydney. Uh, Two million people in our city, and the final crusade meeting was 153,000. I'll say no more. Uh, In in two great cricket ground showgrounds. That Billy Graham, the crime rate went down. All sorts of things happened. So at the same time as people were leaving, that God is dead as predicted by Nietzsche and so forth, as someone uh, pointed out quite rightly, Uh, at the same time as the crowds were going away, the nominals were going away, there grew up a whole group of people who were absolutely right on for the gospel. And that really... Dominated church life then for the next decades, uh, and even now, if I go to a church and say, "Was anyone converted at the Billy Graham Crusade?" Very few churches would have no one who was converted at the Billy Graham Crusade in 1959. That was mine, 66, 67, I should say, and 79. I think three crusades in at least Sydney, possibly Melbourne as well. Can't remember, uh, but they were they were very important moments for us. It,
0: it sounds like one thing that's changed over the last few decades is um communities are fractured in one sense yeah. and and you've got the i again I, I will say this you probably don't remember this, but when we had dinner in twenty seventeen i oh. i'll guess oh, you you do remember no uh i i i said something like i made a comment and i said um oh i think sometimes individualism individualism is overrated, and in passing you said you could say that again. Uh, <laughs> um, I know when you were Archbishop, uh, you, you spoke out on a number of different things. And one thing things you spoke about was on industrial relations policy. So um, how union, trade unions work and workplaces work. And, and one of the things that you said was that relationships sit at the heart of what a society and a community is. Uh, and you said that when profit becomes pri- the primary goal, all relationships will suffer. And so what struck me behind what you said then was that you always had this concern, if I'm right, that there's a consumeristic, capitalistic individualism that kind of goes up and then society's fracture. What, what do you think the effect has been on,
1: on not just society but the church in that? Well, we're living in it. We're living in the society that has gone that way. Not completely, but certainly, for example, the, the death of trade unions... Uh, now, I think, what is it, 10% of workers are in a trade union and so forth and so on, which I believe in trade union. I'm not saying I believe in the ones we've got, but I am saying I believe in the union movement because it brings people together to, to work together and have community together and to do things together. Uh, I believe in community and relationship uh, and individualism, as you mentioned, is one of the great blights of uh, the Western world in particular. Uh, quite different if you go to Indonesia uh, Malaysia but it is true in the West uh, fractured yes if you think of family life and the way the impact that this has had the sexual revolution etc etc on families on marriage where people are not getting married people are living together people uh, far more people break off when they are living together the suffering of children when this happens uh, we're living in a very in a world which has gone badly wrong, and I believe that as Christians we have good news for this world. Some people are beginning to see it. You can hear non-Christians saying exactly that. I listened to a, um, a, 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 a podcast by a, a non-Christian feminist lady, and she was, <laughs> in fact, I read, uh, she has a book. I read a book, and the last chapter is "Listen to What Your Mother Tells You," which is very interesting. <laughs> uh, should have done that. Um, and so forth. People are beginning to realise actually that the Christian way is far better for human beings than just living in this individualist, ca- capitalist-dominated way.
0: But as you said, we kind of live in that world, so that means even Christians are shaped by it on some level. To some extent, how, yes. how do you think um, those forces of individualism shape? Our
1: Christian lives—the way that we read the Bible, the way that we relate to each other, oh, church life—yes, very okay. One illustration, and this won't apply to this group here, so I can use it, and you can feel superior. Um, but uh, in okay, uh, 1950s, a lot of church going. 1960s drifts away, except for the Keeney beings. The Keenies went to church twice a Sunday until TV came. And uh, we were in church. Church was our community. And things changed in church. Uh, We never used to have tea and coffee and biscuits after church. Now, I know with people from the real world in Asia, tea and coffee after church seems really stupid. Why don't you have a proper meal instead? (laughs) And meals are actually very significant for relationships. And so there's something there that, that is right. Uh, It would take Anglo-Saxons to think that having a a lukewarm drink of tea with awful biscuits is somehow good. Uh, But we didn't even have those. Church changed. Uh, Small groups came into church for the first time. We didn't have small groups until the 1960s. That's when small Bible study groups began and so forth and so on. So there were significant changes for the good. Now... um, What's the question? Uh, how, is indivi- how has
0: individualism shaped Christians and the church? Oh, yeah.
1: Okay. Uh, so a friend of mine said to me in the 1990s, uh, he, he was the pastor of a fairly significant church, and he said, Peter, people aren't coming to church every Sunday. And he meant the keeny ones. And f- from then on, it has been obvious that not every born-again, keen Christian actually sees it as the right thing to be in church every Sunday except when on holidays. Now, there are various reasons for this. Individualism is at the heart of it, I believe, where we don't see the importance of church. But believe me, what keeps me going as a Christian is church. I've been, by that, the people in my church. Uh, And we... and. We need to recognise that the Bible says that it's as we gather together and we grow together and we grow to be like Jesus together. That's how we grow to be like Jesus. Not as individuals, yes, but we grow together. Therefore, if you treat churches, oh, no, there's nothing else on today. I might as well go to church. Oh, it's raining. Uh, this, is, this is very bad for you And very bad for the church because the church then doesn't have the benefit of your being there. And I can tell you, going to church is one of the best things for you, health-wise. I mean, we don't do it for that reason, but it's good for your health. Singing together is good for you. All sorts of things we do as Christians are actually good. Surprise, surprise! Are actually good for us. Now, if I may since you've been listening to me all this time, Uh, the crisis in the year, I think it was 2005, when uh, uh, industrial relations were on the cut. The government in those days, which is a Liberal Country Party government led by Mr Howard, who is actually, I know, and uh, I can say he's a friend, so I'm not having a go at him as such. But the government in those days wanted to more or less, well, they wanted to cut out extra pay for the weekends. You know how people get extra pay if they work weekends? What's it called? Penalty rate. Penalty (laughs) rates. They want to cut out penalty rates. Why? Well, that would mean that uh, businesses could work seven days a week, right? And some people would work Saturday, Sunday and have Monday, Tuesday off. What is the effect of that? It would mean that all the factories would be open seven days a week. The community would be working seven days a week. There would be no day on which everybody, well, almost everybody, stopped work and can relate to each other. Husbands would be working one set. Wives would be working another set. We may make more money and have a better economy as a result, but it would be, in my opinion, it would be disastrous for relationships and especially church. Excuse me. No, Is that all right? that's fine. Yeah. Uh,
0: I wanted to ask. Actually, individualism has been something that's been growing in society and affecting yeah, us. Yeah, yeah. As as you look to the future, and a lot of people here are quite young, and going to be here for a while, under un- Lord willing. Uh, as you look to the future, there, there are there's other cultural forces that are there. They're, they're in the air that we breathe. As such, uh, a lot of us don't think. Um, oh I'm going to be individualistic today therefore I'm not going to go to church it's just kind of how we're no, wired it's no, no. It's, yeah, it's how right. culture shapes us yeah what's one or two of those other forces that you see that may be emerging that that is going to actually that is in the air that we breathe that we might not be conscious of but it's actually shaping the way that we relate to god and behave and live as christians
1: um these are not. The, the, what instantly comes to mind is not unique to our day. It comes straight from the human heart. We believe, as human beings, that God smiles on us if we are good people. We believe, in other words, in salvation by good works, that you get God's approval by being a good person. Now, that's not. That's every every age but it's always there and we've got to recognize it and we've got to recognize that at the heart of the christian life it begins with repentance from sin and faith in jesus and forgiveness now if we understand repentance faith and forgiveness these things have a huge impact on the way people live in our world because if you've lost those things repentance faith forgiveness you, uh, you lose the capacity to live well. Let me illustrate. Uh, a psychologist said to me once that Christians have a great advantage in marriage, have a great advantage over non-Christians. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, Christians understand repentance and forgiveness. So that in a Christian marriage, I've been in a Christian marriage for quite a long time now, um, in a Christian marriage, we finish each day with prayer. Well, you can't pray with someone who you're having a big barney with. You've got to make your peace. And someone has to say sorry, and the other person has to say, I forgive you, let's forget it, let's pray. I'm trying to go to sleep, or whatever. (laughs) There is a power at work in the gospel, which people who don't know the gospel don't have the same power at work. And consequently, relationships are far more fragile. There's another thing too, and that is uh, uh, what I do is uh, when I meet doctors, when I meet teachers, when I meet police, when I meet veterinary scientists, vets and so forth and so on, I often ask them, tell me about the soul of the Australian. Tell me about the Australian soul. Tell me what's actually going on. And in particular, the answers come in and it's almost always the same. Very interesting. Uh, In particular, they talk about the under-40s anxiety, a deep uncertainty and anxiety about who they are, about what the future is to be, about the meaning of life. They don't know because they don't know the gospel. In the over-40s, the vet told me, he said, what I observe about the Australian soul is that they are constantly buying animals in order to make up for the relationships they don't have. In other words, do you own an animal? Yes, our church has gone, <laughs> our church has gone through a spike in the number
0: of people owning, yeah, owning animals. I so.
1: see, yes, okay, well, COVID may do that too. But uh, in other words, particularly the over-40s, loneliness. The breakdown of marriage leaves people lonely in the as they go through life. Breakdown of marriage and the, of course the many, many fewer children leaves you without the support of family. Now this may not be as big a feature in, in uh, the Asian world, in Malaysia, Indonesia and so forth and so on, but it is in the Western way of thinking in this part of the world and you'll get it.
0: You mentioned in particular uh, anxiety there, which, again, I find quite interesting because it is something that um, so many Christians and young Christians deal with as well. Mm-hmm. Um, we're constantly taught we need to preach the truth of the gospel to our own hearts and our emotions. It, if that is us that is, and anxiety is something that we are wrestling with, what is the, kind,
1: what is the biblical antidote to that? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, well, I was talking to someone who uh, the other day who gets panic attacks, for example. That's an acute form of anxiety. Okay, it may affect some people here. The following, I'd say the following things. First of all, go to your GP and talk to the GP about it because it may require some medicine. We're not spiritualizing these things. Secondly, you may need counselling as well about your approach to life and what's going on. Get the counselling. But thirdly, I'd say to you, this is also a spiritual issue. And you need not just the medicine and the counselling, you need the Word of God. And the great Word of God, which has been so helpful to me, I have to say, because I've had my fair share of anxieties with the responsibilities that I've had, um, is uh, 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 1 Peter 5... Verse 7, I hope. (laughs) Want to give a hand to Ingrid again? (laughs) Look at it. She she knows exactly where 1 Peter is. That was a test to see if she knows. Now tell me what it says in case it's the wrong verse. Casting all your cares on him because he cares about you. Casting all your cares on him for he cares for you. So in the midst of your panic attack, in the midst of your anxieties, I think bring the word of God into your head and your heart. I've found it ever so helpful, I have to say. Don't believe for a minute. I know you don't believe I'm perfect or I can do anything, walk on water spiritually. I need that word from God. And I take my anxieties and I cast my anxieties upon him for I know he cares for me. That's been so helpful. Thank
0: you so much, Peter. Want to give him a hand and I'll close this with a Thank you. Why don't I um, pray for our time as we wrap up. Uh, Gracious God, we thank you for this evening that we can uh, gather to be overwhelmed by your word, as we see what your word says about you, that you are the Lord, strong and mighty, the creator of this world, the Lord of nature, the author of history, the God of our salvation, the one who holds our futures in your hands, the one who... Who is glorious and deserves all glory? And we pray, God, that this night, as we go from here, that those deep truths might be on our hearts, and as we face the changes and chances of this world, with all of its anxieties and uncertainties, that we might cast our cares on you, knowing that you hold our lives in your hands. so you are the Lord who is worthy of our confidence and trust. Please, God, shape our hearts, fill us with the confidence of who you are, as you've revealed yourself to us in your Son, the Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.